We are on this Matthew series, um, the Mighty Matthew series. And uh, you'll notice here, I've got two Bibles. I'm, I'm, I am getting a bit greedy in the Lord. And I'm now, <laughs> I've started to use, when I go around the country, multiple versions. But partly also it helps um, uh, if you're flicking around the Bible a little bit. So um, this is Matthew 21. Uh, and it's quite an astonishing story. We've been doing Matthew now for, I think, 1,762 years. And uh, we're, we're drawing into the final quarter. So that's exciting. Um, so this is Matthew 21. And, and it's an astonishing story in one sense. Uh, verse uh, 18. And uh, it's a kind of extraordinary encounter. But it is laced with meaning. Now obviously, to give some context, Matthew was a gospel that was specifically written to... Uh, address questions that the Jews had and therefore it's full of some quite deep symbolism Um, and to those reading it who were Jewish in Israel they would have immediately cottoned on to what's going on in this passage us looking at it when you read it you think what did he do that for why would he do this such a random weird thing Um, but if you were Jewish you would Get it. So, Matthew 21, verse 18. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. I, just as a little aside, I even like that. When sometimes you read Jesus was tired, or Jesus wept, or Jesus was hungry, they're actually quite important statements. Because he's saying he, he identifies with us. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus got angry. That he was fully man, fully God. But he, there's this brilliant verse in Hebrews, which actually I was given for my baptismal verse. Um, the Lord knows what you need. And it was this. Everyone, when I got baptized, all my mates who got baptized, they all got these triumphant verses of victory and you know, the Lord's going to do these amazing things. I got... We don't have a great high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses because he was tested in every way. <laughs> we can come to him to find help in our time of need. And this person said, I really prayed over this for you. And I thought, ooh. Why did everyone get really brilliant, like, globe-conquering verses? And I got, yeah, I think you're going to have a lot of aggro. <laughs> you know, and the Lord's going to be with you. Don't worry about it. The amount of times I've gone back to that verse. Actually, the other life verse I had was the one I got the day after I became a Christian, which is always also in Hebrews which was Hebrews 13.5, where the Lord says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Um, and I was just, I was just, that was just all over my heart and head while we were worshipping. Some of those songs really brought that out. The Lord is with us, the Lord is with us. But the thing is, Jesus was a man, and he gets us. I, I find that really reassuring. You know, well, you may not, but I do. I think you, you get us, God, and you, you still love us, still died for us, understood our fragility completely. You might be sitting here today and not know Jesus. And you think, what is all this high-fluted stuff? What is all this weirdness? I'm telling you, he, he sees everything in your life and he gets it and he still went to a cross and died for you, which we'd love to explain to you in more detail at the right time. He was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. 
And then he said to it, which on the surface looks a bit harsh and a bit strange and moderately grumpy. May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, only you can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. We're actually going to focus on the first bit. These other bits about faith will drip out over time, but I will say this, by reference to the second bit first. I once took that verse to heart, ladies and gentlemen, at a barbecue, an outreach barbecue around my house near Basildon, Billericay. And we had a whole bunch of people coming off the council estate where I'd started a church. And the world's biggest, darkest cloud encircled my house. I'm not joking. It was black and gloomy, and it looked like there was going to be some kind of weird monsoon type thing. This was in summer. And in front, I was younger, forgive me, in front of all these people who didn't go to church off the estate, as my prime pork sausages were nestling on the grill, <laughs> with the charcoals perfectly set and a lovely glaze over my chicken wings. I rebuked the storm in front of everybody. I, I believed that if I asked without doubt, the clouds would pass. The barbecue was a washout 30 seconds later, <laughs> and everything was destroyed. And since then, I've not attempted such a thing. But I believe the word. It's just not worked for me that particular moment. One day I will attempt it again. You read all these stories like the evangelist, one I bonk you like storm clouds gathered around the world's biggest marquee and he rebuked it in front of everyone and literally the clouds it <laughs> didn't happen to me on the council estate in Essex I'm telling you it was the worst rain I've ever seen in my life so this is set in Israel and in the Bible God talks about the nation of Israel being a vineyard at times or a tree so to those looking at this story the jews they would get what's going on or the disciples should have got what's going on uh judges 9 isaiah 3 uh, 5 in jeremiah and ezekiel god calls israel a vineyard or a tree and it is true that god also looks for fruit um first fruits were very significant were, were given to god weren't they in the bible so that's quite an important thing to realize uh, which we need to come on to a little bit later if we get the time. But also there's verses where God inspects Israel for fruit. So he's actually looking for it in Micah 7, Jeremiah 8, Hosea 9. And at times, God curses where there is no fruit. So, for instance, uh, let me read this to you and see what you think. Where do you think this comes from? Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they can't be eaten. Harsh. God will make you like rotten figs. Where do you think that comes from? 
Come on, Bible bingo. Jeremiah. No, Jeremiah's correct. Uh, up, up it. You're a bright man. You speak German. You must be clever. <laughs> Jeremiah's correct. It's actually in Jeremiah 29. Who knows the famous verses that everyone quotes in Jeremiah 29? Oh, oh, we love that, don't we? Oh, I, I have plans for you to prosper you and bless you. You know, and, and give you a Porsche. No, that's in my dodgy version. That's not in the word. Three, four verses after, it said, but I'm going to make you like rotten figs. No one reads on. I wonder why we don't read on. Let's just isolate a verse and claim all the good bits but forget the bad bits. And actually what God says is, you're all going to be taken into exile. And those that agree to go into exile, and, and suffer punishment from the Lord, I will eventually prosper you and bless you. But if you don't, I'm going to make you like a rotten fig. So remember that next time you claim the verse. Actually, he'll bless you if you're obedient. Now, he will prosper you and bless you, but there's, there's a condition. He is looking for fruitfulness. So against this, the Jews know what's going on. Now, Apparently, according to very clever people who read commentaries and stuff and write them, um, this was a season when there should have been at least pre-fruits uh, or at least evidence of figs appearing. If a fig tree has loads of leaves on it but no fruit, it is, to coin a phrase, completely useless and not worth anything. So Jesus comes up to this tree, sees loads of leaves because he says he's hungry, but there's no fruit. And he says, it's worthless. That is quite sobering. It means that you can have all the appearance of fruit. Leafy, but not fruity, we might say. You can have all the appearance of it. You can have all the trappings of fruitfulness, but not have any fruit at all. I find that quite sobering. And... and Jesus looks at that and he's sending us a message. You're not bearing any fruit? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cursing that tree so it can never bear fruit again. Now, thankfully, we are post-cross resurrection. And God, we say this church is a church of a thousand second chances and we believe in redemption and hope and all that kind of stuff. But it beholds us to think about what does it look like to be a church that doesn't have the appearance of being fruitful, but actually isn't at all. I don't know about you, but I find that a, a, a slightly scary thought. Because it's so easy. Oh, I don't want to spread doom and gloom this morning. I just think we've got to take heed. Because I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. The Lord is trying to tell us something. Do not be leafy, but not fruity. You know, he'd rather, he wants to see the fruit. So, churches are made up of individuals. And collectively, when we come together, we make a church. Uh, we are church through the week. We gather together on Sundays as we try and work that out as a family together. So this is my view. These are my personal thoughts on what I think a fruitful follower of Christ looks like. And therefore, collectively, when we come together, is a fruitful church. 
I'm not really want to go into what is a leafy church with no fruit. I think if you focus on what the fruit is, then the rest should fall into place. It's so easy to have the trappings, but, but actually not, not be pleasing the Lord at all. And I, I don't want us to be that church. So, and I know you don't either. So first thing, it's in no particular order, but my first thoughts on being a fruitful uh, follower of Christ and therefore collectively a fruitful church is personal holiness. I think, uh, you know, our prayer lives and our personal holiness are probably where it begins and ends for many of us. Uh, You can be a follower of Christ and have all the appearance of being a godly man or woman but actually not be at all. Fact. Second uh, Corinthians 7. Therefore, since you have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. And under that little passage, in my Bible, I had written previously to myself, watch what I watch. This is what I wrote to myself a while back. Watch what I say and what I do. I also wrote, don't go mad on it. Like, don't drive yourself nuts by trying to be perfect because you can go massively over the top. And I also wrote, sweat the small stuff. Because I think, in personal holiness, the real battles are fought in the big areas. Yesterday, I had an astonishing moment, which I'll share. I was preaching at this conference all day in Leeds. And in the middle of one of my talks, I said, I actually, just during the worship, I wrote a word down, which was adultery, in my Bible. So it's now going to be there forever. It was just like a, I thought, I've got to remember that word. And in the middle of my talk, I saw it. So I stopped my talk. And I said, and it was purely, it was all of, all of God, all of his grace, said, there's someone here. I believe, and I could be wrong, because you always got to add a caveat. Believe, it's the Lord, that someone is in this conference today, and even while you're sitting here, you're texting, arranging to commit adultery as soon as you leave this conference. So don't do it. Stop it now. And then carried on with the conference. Someone broke down in tears and was literally about to leave the conference and go and commit adultery. And God rescued them and probably their marriage right at the last minute. Isn't that just the kindness of the Lord? Isn't that just the kindness of the Lord? Who'd rather call us out now, this side of eternity, and save a family and a marriage. Now, I'm not given to doing things like that all the time, but occasionally, if the Lord does it, I'll go for it. We used to trust the Lord, didn't you? As long as you had the caveats. This could be a thing, might not be. Now, the thing I want to say is this, and I need to use this example to all grown-ups here, and it's not something we talk about very often, but marriage is a sacred thing. It's a sacred covenant. I don't think a man or woman gets up in the morning and thinks I'm going to have an affair. Oh, I think I have an affair with my neighbour today. Oh, I think I'll do that. That doesn't happen. Well, it might happen, but it's very rare. I think what happens is this. Jesus said, when you come to faith in him, you go through a narrow gate, and then you walk a narrow path, right? It's in Matthew 7. Now, I think what happens is this. 
Let me talk about it from a male perspective, because it's easy for me to do that from a woman's perspective, right? I think what blokes do is, obviously, I think what, but this is applied to the women too, but I think what men do, because I've been working with men for over two decades now specifically, is they tread down the edge of the narrow path by not sweating the small stuff. Oh, that joke's all right. Oh, it's all right if I use that language. Oh, I'll just drop the odd, you know. Or, you know, they don't stand for the culture that they're in. Like, in the office, if you're a Christian, you may notice that, and this doesn't apply to everyone, but, but people might swear less around you. Or, or won't be as crude around you. And they don't always apply. You know, when I was in the bank, it was more like, you know, th- th- they, would, they wouldn't use certain words, but they would use a lot of others. And, and sometimes I noticed that things could be a little bit awkward because I was the holy one when I was in the bank. Now, I had mates, but I was the holy one. So there were a couple of times I walked into the staff and people stopped talking because the holy one was there, you know. The, I was like the pope, you know, that kind of thing. That's what people think. Uh, especially as soon as I found out I was going to go and train for ministry, it got even worse. You, know, you can imagine some of the mockery as well. But on one particular occasion, I, I might have told you this before, but someone tried to use a travel ticket that, that, I, that I had that had my photo on it. And I said, no, I'd rather buy you one than use my card because that's theft. And everyone ripped into me. They're like, just let me use a card. And I'm like, no, I'll, I'll buy you one. But they didn't even want that. They wanted to have a go at me because they wouldn't let them use my photo ID travel card for the London Underground. Anyway, long story short, this fall broke out in the bank a, a couple of weeks later and everyone was crying in my office because I said I was the only one who wouldn't lie. But for me, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the witness. It, it was, I know where my line is and I need to sweat the small stuff. And then people say, don't sweat the small stuff. No, sweat the small stuff when it comes to holiness. Sweat it. Big time. You know the story in 1 Samuel 11 where David's on the balcony and he spies Bathsheba. He's like, ooh, she's nice. I know what I'll do. I'll kill her husband and take her to bed. <laughs> Radical leap. It didn't start there. My, I suspect he went on the balcony a few times spying out Bathsheba. Oh, oh, I think I'll just go for a cheeky cup of green tea on that balcony. Oh, for some fresh air. Oh, look, there's that woman again. Oh, I didn't know she bathed at 11 o'clock every day. I think it was a bit like that. What he's doing is he's treading down the edge of the narrow path. That's what we do. So that joke, that humour, you haven't sweated the small stuff. If you go one degree off course flying from Heathrow to Seattle, you'll probably end up like 100 miles away from the airport just by one degree off. Some engineer now is going to correct me, and that's really annoying, but it's something like that, probably. You know, as you won't be able to see the airport, go one degree off course on a narrow path in your personal holiness. A few years later, you look around, you won't even see the path anymore. That's how you end up committing adultery. It's a process. Personal holiness is so important. So my view is, draw a line. I love the stories of David's mighty men in 2 Samuel, where it says uh, Eleazar fought the Philistines to his hand, foes to the sword, and Shammah the Harawite, it says... It says that he, he, he was in a field of lentils and the Philistines were attacking. And he was like, no one's going to get in my field of lentils. Because he was a radical vegetarian and, and, and he, he was, got the hump. Obviously, he wasn't. Obviously, what he did was draw a line. No one shall pass my field. Because he drew a line. Draw a line. The line is not on the balcony. The line is in the basement. 
You draw your line way back. Personal holiness. Draw your line way back. Way back. If your temptation is alcohol and it's got a grip on you, don't just not have stuff in. Just like take radical steps and hold yourself accountable. If it's sex, draw the line way back. Y give yourself some no man's land breathing room. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if we don't, you know, you're numb and blunt the presence of the Lord and you'll know, I've said it before, I think off the top of my head, it's um, uh, Judges 16.20 where Samson uh, finally has his hair cut. Delilah gives him a short back and sides. And uh, after breaking all his Nazarite vows, it says the Spirit of the Lord left him and he didn't even know. You can be leafy and have no fruit. You can have the appearance of being full of power and the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit just fluttered away from you. Ephesians 4.20 flutters away gently. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So I'm not, I'm not having to go. I'm just saying, like, if we want to see all the things that God's got for us, hold the line and draw the line way back and walk in holiness before the Lord. One of the best ways to walk in holiness for me, very practically, is this. It, it's not all the appearance stuff. For me, holiness starts also in being radically obedient to the call of God. Do the things he's called you to do and the rest will fall into line. Get focused on him, put attention on him, put Jesus front and centre and the rest will fall in. But personal holiness. Secondly, um, some of you men might be shocked to hear me use this word, but I truly believe that intimacy with God is so important. And you know, you don't often hear me use that word, but I, I believe it to be so important. Romans 8.15, by the Holy Spirit, we quite have a father and know that we're sons of God. All of us his children. Sons in the deepest sense of the word, those who get an inheritance. And Abba meaning daddy or dad. It's such a beautiful thing. And you'll see many occasions, won't you, with Jesus, where he'd withdraw into the shadows or go up on a mountain and spend time with his father. You know, I think if we want to be fruitful... You spend time with the Lord. One of the best things that you can do sometimes is just to sit back in a chair if you're kind of a static Christian or if you're a fidget Christian, go for a walk in the peaks. If you're a fresh air Christian, climb up a mountain. You know, do whatever it works for you. If you're a petrol head Christian like me, put your crash helmet on and go and blast around the peak district and inquire of the Lord. Everyone meets God in different ways. I'm not going to prescribe one way. What I am saying is inquire of the Lord and spend time in his presence. Like for me, you know, I do make driving around the country a holy moment for me. Break me Bethelon, or me Hillsong, a bit of Michael W. Smith, even a bit of Graham Kendrick. Because I do like the old stuff. And I'm, I'm in his presence. I also listen to Bob Dylan and some people in the church have put me on to Rodriguez. He's brilliant. So I listen to other stuff as well. But I do have me worship on. And sometimes I come onto this new thing called allworship.com, which plays a load of the old school stuff for £3 a month, or $5 a month, £3.68. And I have it on in the background. I'm not over the top with it, but I like this sense of God's spirit being with me and in his presence, and just inquiring of him. It, it keeps me level. You know, I know what I'm like. I'll be a hooligan left to my own devices. So I keep myself in the presence of the Lord. And accountable to that as well. I do practice uh, not accountability, but brutal accountability. I, I know my weaknesses, so I've got people in national ministry that will ask me how I'm doing. 
And I've got friends in the church who will know me inside out. And I'll welcome that. A couple of my friends in national ministry would even phone my wife to see if what I'm saying is true. <laughs> that makes you nervous? Men, then you probably need to do it. I don't actually like it sometimes. One time I got a phone call. I was in Leeds when I lived in Somerset. I got a phone call at 11 o'clock at night. 11 o'clock at night. And one of my prayer accountability people said, put your FaceTime on. Don't you up? He said, what are you doing? So I'm trying to go to sleep. I've got to get up at 5.30. He said, put your FaceTime on. I said, why? And he went, I want to see what's in the room. I said, it's me. So I'll go, I'm trying to sleep. And he went, put it on then. So I did. He said, he said stand in the middle of the room and rotate the phone. <laughs> so I said, look, it's just me. He went, thank you, just checking up. Hope you're doing well. I went, go away. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> I like that. How many leaders of churches and ministers and national ministry leaders have been found in bed with another woman away from home? You know what he's doing? He was just saying, this is a drill. It's a test. How are you doing? I like it. Brutal accountability. Not faffing about. Personal holiness, inquiring of the Lord, staying intimate with him and protecting that. Third thing that I think is a hallmark of a fruity but not only leafy church. It's a church that loves Jesus. Like we talk about Jesus a lot. And I like it that we do. Like he's everything, isn't he? Front and centre. Simple as that. Like we just talk about Jesus a lot. I like it that most Sunday mornings I've arrived with my daughter about Jesus and the Bible. Because it just means we're talking about him. We don't get all shirty with each other. They did get a bit annoying this morning. The church talks about and loves Jesus. The other thing that the church does that's fruitful is we love the poor. We just love the brokenhearted and we go all out for them. And Honestly, there's stuff in Isaiah, which I do just want to read John. I am aware of time and I'm going to finish any minute, but oh, my days. I was reading this again the other day and I just felt such a conviction from the Lord. Like, how do we step this up? And in Isaiah, you know, he was ministering in Judah, Isaiah, and the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to instruction of God. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I've had enough of your offerings of rams and fattened animals. I've no pleasure in the blood of bulls. And when you appear before me, you're trampling my courts. Your, your celebrations are detestable to me, it says. You become a burden to me. When you, when you, I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes. Your hands are full of blood. And then it says, you're like, God is condemning worship. Because the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer and they weren't being blessed and needs weren't being met. They literally had lavish temples with all the stuff and the poor were dying outside. And it says, wash and make yourselves clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow, he says. And so it goes on. I'm like, God's heart is for the broken, the hurting and the lost. Of all economic structures too, but... He has a particular heart for those who are really bust up. And the church is fruitful is going after that. It's seeking to be a blessing. I think combined to that, God loves a very generous church. We try and give 15% of everything we get away and more if we can. That's the big plan. But also individually generous. Like in Acts 4, 
It says in Acts 4, no one was without because everyone shared. Everyone shared their possessions. They had common ownership of stuff. That's a challenge. Common ownership. No one was without because everyone shared. People opened their homes. Inconveniently, I'm guessing, people shared their lives together. I think that is a hallmark of a fruitful church. Radically loving the poor, radical generosity, radical opening of our homes. Spending time with people who are not like you. Hugging the unhuggable. Loving the unlovable. That's actually what we're about. And I love it that that's what this church is about. I think that's why it shines a light on us. But that is a fruitful church. And finally, a church that multiplies. I.e., someone finds Jesus, another person finds Jesus, another person finds Jesus. We plant a church, we plant another church, we plant a church that plants a church, we plant a church that plants another church. We multiply, multiply, multiply. Why? Because we're fruitful. Fruit drops off, seeds spread, more trees grow. It's actually what we should be doing. We should be radically generous with our resources, our people, our time. We hear of another church being planted in the town. Do you know what we do? We cheer them and clap them. Still going to have the biggest flags. (laughs) That is a non-negotiable. But if we see a church that needs help, what do we do? We bless them. We're not competitive. We're blessers. Generous and kind and we're chucking seeds out all over the place. Not rotten figs. Fruity figs. Full of seeds. That's all. And we spread it all over the town. That's how you win a town. Find that church needs some help with a project. Bung on some cash. Needs help with some people. Chuck on some people. Do what we can because the kingdom's more important. See what I mean? That, that is a fruitful church. Not stuff full of leaves. That's what I think anyway. That is my personal view on what it means to be fruitful and not full of leaves and all the appearance of fruit. Do you know what? I even think you could be a church of a thousand people and not be pleasing the Lord. And you could be a church of 25 and so have his love and attention. I want to be massive and have God's love and attention. Why do I want to be big? Because there's more we can do. More rescue, more projects, more funding, more resource, give more away. And it means more people are facing heaven and not hell. It's not, not ambition. It's ambition for the kingdom. The more we can do, the more we can give away, the more we can resource. I so love we're giving thousands and thousands of pounds away to developing countries and thousands and thousands of pounds away to things like the hospice and other churches that are struggling. We can pay for some stuff. And wouldn't it be so good, wouldn't it? All over Derbyshire having an impact, let alone our town. New mobile phones, latest technology, all of it. That's what we want. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Better, better ringtones. Pay for better ringtones. We'll fund you all so we can get rid of those old school ones. That's what I'm looking for. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Praise Jesus. He's so kind, isn't he? We're going to break bread together. Isn't he so kind to us? I just, I just mind blown yesterday about that guy whose marriage is probably saved. Even this morning, you know, I'm walking into church. I was running a bit late because I lost my car keys. And um, I walked into church and, and, and I, got a, I got a message from someone I'd never met who prophetically spoke into a pastoral situation so acutely you wouldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, how loving is, and kind is God? Like, specific. I thought he's amazing. How kind is he? So let's determine to be fruitful.
not have the appearance of fruit, but be truly fruitful. And he blesses you when you do that, you know. He fills you with joy. Father, we thank you. It's all possible because of the love of Jesus. Costly, costly sacrifice. We were looking at the Trinity in connect groups. Some of us probably weren't. We were not in my group. And um, oh, looking at the Trinity and thinking, up until the cross, Father, Son, Spirit, never been separated until that moment. Been together in all eternity, for all eternity. And Jesus loved us so much that he chose to be separated from his Father. So deeply entwined with his Father, but chose to walk on the earth and then get nailed to a cross bear the scars for eternity and then rise again. Kick death into touch. We thank you God for your amazing love. We thank you for Jesus. As we break bread together we remember the bread symbolising the broken body of Jesus given for us and the cup representing the blood of Jesus shed for not only the sins you've committed, but all those you're going to go on to commit to. How beautiful and amazing. You can, you can come to Christ and feel clean. 